I appreciate that. How many of you brought, hold your Bible up again because you haven't messed up my routine here? All right? If I get out of routine, there ain't no telling what. I may say, hold up your Sears and Roebuck this morning. All right. Take your Bible, if you will, and join me now in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 10. 1 Kings, chapter 10 this morning. I have an old Schofield Bible, and it's page number 400 if you have an old Schofield Bible. And if you don't, then we'll give you time to find it. 1 Kings, chapter number 10. And I want to read some verses here in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open and just follow me along here in the Word of God this morning. All right? 1029. It's 1029 right now. And we'll have you out of here in just a little while. And we'll beat the Methodist to the fish house. I promise you that. All right? Okay. 1 Kings chapter 10. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right. I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, if you think back for the last two or three Sunday mornings in our Sunday morning services, I have been looking at some of the how-bits of the Bible in a series of sermons that I have called Heavenly How-bits. Now, I've told you before that that word howbeit in the Bible is actually used to introduce to us some great Bible truths. And we've kind of looked at two or three of them so far, just in the Bible where the word howbeit. Now, we don't use that word a whole lot in our terminology, in our language today. Uh, I'd venture to say I probably hadn't used that word one time this week uh, in just talking to somebody and said, uh, just said something and said, but howbeit. Uh, we don't use it a whole lot, but it was used in the Bible to introduce to us some great truths. So far, we've looked at the howbeit of Samson's life. Now, we remember the story of Samson, who was a great leader, who became a great loser. Because of his sin and his rebellion against God, the great leader turned to a great loser. In the Bible, Samson was known as a judge, but the judge became a joke. But yet we read in the Bible that Samson had a heavenly howbeit in his life. That's right. Back in Judges chapter 16, verse 22, after all that had happened to him, we read the words, howbeit, the hair of his head began to grow again. Aren't you glad that God is a God of a second chance? And no matter how bad you and I may blow it, aren't you glad that God's love, God's compassion, and God's forgiveness is greater than our sin? A heavenly howbeit. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the howbeit in, in an Old Testament king's life. His name was Jotham. There's so much to be liked about Jotham. He was, a, he was a builder. He was a battler. He was a believer. I mean, there's so much said about his life that just makes you like this old boy. But he had one negative howbeit in his life. And we read that verse there where it said, right there in the middle, howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord. You know, Jotham's life kind of is a testimony of what happens to you when you don't find your place, yoke yourself up in a good New Testament church. That's right. I want to tell you, it is possible to be a Christian without the church, but you'll never be a growing Christian, and you'll never be a godly Christian, and you'll never be a glowing Christian if you try to bypass the house of God. Can I stop and say, let me just be so, so, so forthcoming as to say it like this. Listen, you can't please God and bypass the church. You can't do it. All that God is doing in our world today, God is doing in the church and through the church and by the church. And that's the reason around here we have that little saying goes something like this. Every believer needs to be a, a belonger. 
Every believer needs to be able longer. Now, in just a few minutes, as I close the service this morning, I'm going to give an invitation. And during that invitation, one of the things I'm going to invite people to do is I realize there are people sitting here today that are not members of a good church somewhere. And everybody needs a church home. Can I just say again, what do people do that don't have a church family? When the tough times of life come, when death comes, sickness comes, disease comes, disaster comes, boy, you're going to need somebody to pray for you. You're going to need somebody to help you through those dark times of life and ladies and gentlemen, you find that crowd in the house of God. So as I give the invitation this morning, if you're not a member of a church somewhere, I'm going to invite you. If you've been saved, been baptized by immersion in water, I'm going to invite you to, to join Woodland Baptist Church this morning. But this morning now, we're going to look at another how be it in the Bible. Now, had you to open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter number 10, and in this chapter, what we've got now, so I can just cut the chase, what we've got here is we have the ancient record of a visit made by a queen to see a king. That's right. She's journeyed for many miles. We don't even know what her name is. Many people speculate, and can I stop and say this? There's a lot of notions and legends and stories and uh, things that are told about this queen. Uh, and I could go into all that, but I, I don't just want to do. I don't want to do that this morning. But there's a lot of speculation about who this king was, but all we know about her is, from, is that she was from the land of Sheba. Now, Sheba, many people believe Sheba was uh, some uh, part of Ethiopia. Other people believe that Sheba was a part of Arabia. And as I said, there are all kinds of stories about this, but can I do this? Can we just stay with the book? By the way, you don't ever have to go wrong if you stay with the book. All right, I could tell you some stories that would blow your mind about what I read about this visit here, but I don't want to do that. Let's stay with the Word of God. So here's a queen that travels many, many miles, a great distance, to see a king, and when she gets there, she has a heavenly howbeit about it. Now let's read it. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, so the king is Solomon, Solomon is the king of the nation of Israel. Solomon is the son of the great king of Israel by the name of David. So the Bible said, When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. That means she has a big entourage with her. And with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. I think maybe that would be the way that we would say, man, she, she fainted. She passed out. And then she said this in verse number 6. She said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Oh, she said, you know something? Everything I heard was true, she said. But now read the first word of verse 7. Read it with me. Ready? How be it? How be it? She said, everything I heard about you was true. But she said this, how be it? And then in the middle part of the verse it says this, 
the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Now here comes this queen after traveling, no doubt, many miles, many days on a long journey. She has heard about King Solomon. She has heard about various aspects of his reign and of his kingdom. And she said when she gets there, she says to him, Man, I've seen it with my own eyes, but I've just got to tell you, King, how be it? The half of all that I've heard and seen has never been told. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, you know, man, we're glad for her and glad for Solomon, glad everything worked out well. And that's a good story, preacher. Thank you for telling us what in the world does all that have to do with us. Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you what it has to do with you. All right? Let me jump way over in the New Testament now and read you one verse, and then I'm going to tie all this together. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, in verse 42, Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself, now upon the earth, in the midst of his earthly ministry, reaches back into the Old Testament and grabs this ancient visit, the ancient record of the visit of this queen to see King Solomon, and he begins to speak about himself out of it. Look what he said. The queen of the south, that's Sheba, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and... Behold, now really don't miss this next part. Jesus said a greater, speaking of himself, Jesus said, boy, she thought he was something. Y'all look at right here. <laughs> I'm greater than Solomon was. Now, I can just imagine, you know it was a bunch of religious people that day, and what they had actually done in Matthew 12 was say, Hey, Jesus, give us a sign. Pull a rabbit out of the hat. Do some abracadabra. Jesus, make, some, uh, uh, make something disappear. Show us that you're the Son of God. Give us a sign. And Jesus said, Look, let me tell you something. There's going to be no signs. But I want to tell you something. You think about Solomon and all of his glory, but I just want to tell you, I'm here before you, and I'm greater than Solomon was. Now, can you imagine what those, how those people responded when Jesus said, but a greater than Solomon is here? Jesus said, in essence, hey, you're looking at somebody that is higher, greater, mightier, richer, wiser than King Solomon. Can you just imagine what those people must have thought in that day? I can just imagine they probably said, wait a minute, Jesus, Solomon was born in a palace. You were born in a manger. Solomon's from Jerusalem. Jesus, you're from the tiny town of Bethlehem. Solomon had thousands of servants. Jesus, you have none. Solomon wore a kingly robe. Jesus, you wear a peasant's garment. Solomon lived in a castle. Jesus, you said you don't even have nowhere to lay down your head. Solomon was rich. Jesus, you're poor. Solomon feasted with kings. Jesus, 
you feast with publicans and sinners. And can I just stop and say, thank God he does. Solomon commanded armies. Jesus, you have just a few disciples. Solomon drank from vessels of gold. Jesus, we heard you drank from a harlot's bucket. Solomon built, Jesus, uh, built cities. Jesus, you're a carpenter, son. You built plows and chairs. Solomon rode in a chariot. Jesus, you either walk everywhere you go or you ride a donkey. And you have the audacity to stand there and tell us that you're greater than Solomon? I just want to tell you, Jesus, you're insulting our intelligence. Jesus, you don't know who you're talking to. We're not a bunch of country bumpkins. We're not a bunch of uh, people that don't have any knowledge. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus didn't know who he was talking to. They just didn't know who they were listening to. Because Jesus is greater than Solomon in every way. Now, you say, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, go back to 1 Kings 10 now. Let me show you some things about Solomon, as great as he was. And then let me tell you, out of them all, Jesus is greater. First of all, number one, when she came, if you'll look back there in chapter 10, when she came, number one, she saw the wisdom of King Solomon. She saw the wisdom of King Now, you and I know that, that, that Solomon had great wisdom. We understand that. You know, from the very outset of his reign, the Bible tells us that the Lord appeared to Solomon one night when he was in a place by the name of Gibeon, and he came to Solomon and he asked him a question. And the question is right here in 1 Kings chapter number 3, 1 Kings chapter number 3, verse number 5, and Gibeon, the Lord, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give thee. In other words, God came to Solomon with a blank check. And he said, okay, Solomon, anything you want, I will give it to you. And here's what Solomon asked for. Same chapter, verse number 9, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and... You know what Solomon said? Lord, Give me wisdom. And can I say, boy, God granted old Solomon wisdom. In that same chapter, remember just a little bit later in that same chapter, we have a demonstration of the wisdom of Solomon. Remember that night that those two harlots that had conceived children out of their immoral relationships, both of them had, had children, and, and they both slept in the bed with their child one night. And one night, during the process of their sleep, one of those ladies rolled over on her baby and suffocated the little baby and it died. Well, sometime during the night, she woke up and realized what she had done, so she pulled a switcheroo. She got over there where that other little baby was. She put the dead baby in the bed with the, with the mama, took the living baby, put it in her bed, and said, whew, everything's going to be all right. And when she woke up the next morning, a cat fight was on. That one lady said, that's my baby. She said, no, it ain't. That's your baby. This is my baby. And they got in this big fuss that went all the way to King Solomon. Now, what are you going to, how are you going to answer that? By the way, this is before DNA testing. They didn't have forensic science back in those days. They didn't have fingerprinting. I mean, what are you going to do? Solomon in his wisdom said, I'll tell you what, you say that's your baby, you say that's your baby, let's just do this. Bring me a sword, let's divide the baby. 
I'll split it in half. I'll give you half and give you... And the real mother spoke up and said, no, 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 no. Let her have it. She can have it. And Solomon, in his wisdom, discerned, she discerned, he discerned who the real mother was. Well, buddy, I want to tell you something. Stuff like that started spreading around. People traveling through the area carried the news of the wisdom of Solomon throughout the whole land. And the queen of Sheba had even heard of the wisdom of Solomon. You talk about a wise man. Here's what the Bible said about him in First Kings chapter number 4 verse 33 that Solomon spake about trees and the cedar tree in Lebanon uh, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall he spake of beasts and of fowls and of creeping things and of fishes he goes on to say that there came uh, of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard uh, I mean Solomon you, you, you had a question Solomon had the answer so we're told back in First Kings chapter 10 that she came in verse 1 to prove him with hard questions. She wanted to find out if what she had heard about him was actually true. So now, no doubt, she had questions about archaeology. How old is the earth? How did it get here? How was it formed? There were questions about archaeology. There were questions about botany. She had questions about the flowers of the field. There were questions about astronomy, the sun, the moon, and the stars. There were questions about meteorology, about storms and weather. There were questions about zoo about questions about the animals. There were questions about biology, life, and death. But then we read in verse number 3 that Solomon told her everything, had an answer for every question that she asked. He knew it all. But Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. You think about the wisdom of Solomon. You think about the answers that he gave. But let's ask Jesus some questions. Let's come to the subject of archaeology. Solomon may have known the ages of the rocks, but thank God Jesus is the rock of ages. He, he, he was the stone that was cut out of the mountains that smashed the image of Daniel. He, she asked questions about botany, the flowers in the field, but Jesus is the lily of the valley, and Jesus is the rose of Sharon. She asked questions about astronomy, the sun, and the moon and the stars. But Jesus is the bright and the morning star. And He is the Son of Righteousness. She asked questions about meteorology, storms and weather. But Jesus was the one who could stop the storm and steal the waves. She asked questions about zoology, the animals and their ways. But Jesus is the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. She asked questions about biology, life and death. But Jesus is the one who said, I was alive and behold, I died. But Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Solomon may have had all wisdom, but thank God Jesus is greater than Solomon. Oh, yeah, in his wisdom. You know something? Solomon was wise, but boy, he turned out to be an idiot, didn't he? Married all them women. Had a 700 wives and 300 porcupines. I mean, you stop and think about that. What man in his right mind is going to marry a thousand women? Somebody said the other day, he said, Preacher, where does it say in the Bible that you can only have one wife? I said, that's easy. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. It's in the King James. Here's an old boy that's supposed to be all wise, and yet he brought all these women into his life, and they influenced him to forsake the worship of the true and the living God and to start worshiping at the altars of gods that are no gods. 
But can I tell you something? I'm telling you about one that is greater than Solomon who has no foolishness, no foolishness, no folly in his life. One who has never sinned, nor will he ever sin. One who was perfect in every way. One who was true and holy and just. Solomon, though he was gifted in wisdom, he had to study and seek knowledge and read. But Jesus has never had to learn anything. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to him? Maybe in some of those tight spots, maybe Solomon had to say, let me check on that one and I'll get back to you. But aren't you glad we got a Savior this morning who's never been asked the question that he's had to say, let me check on that and I'll get back to you. He's wisdom personified. He's greater than Solomon in his wisdom. Some people, sometimes they come and ask me questions. Did Noah have dinosaurs on the ark? My answer to that is, I don't care if he did or not, as long as we don't have them running around today. I've had, I've had people ask me this question before. Now, preacher, do you tape your radio program? And I said, well, sometimes we have to if we're going to be away. Well, and they said, do you pray? And I said, yeah. They said, then let me ask you a question. When, when you pray on a tape radio program, does God answer that prayer then or wait till they play it on the radio? I said, let me, let me think about that and I'll get back to you later. But can I tell you something? Jesus has never had to say, let me think about that. I'll get back to you greater later. You know why? He's wiser than King Solomon. Howbeit, the half was not told. I think about she saw his wisdom. I think, number two, how that she saw his works. The works of King Solomon. Look again at verse number four. The Bible said that she saw the house that he had built. The house. By the way, I'm talking about the house he built for himself. It had to be a magnificent palace. We know from the record of the Scripture that it took 13 years for that house to be built. In fact, I read this. I don't know if this is true or not, but I did read this, that if you laid down the dimensions that are given for the house, that the palace that Solomon built for himself, if you laid it down flat on the ground, it would be 1,620,000 square feet. It ain't a single wide trailer. <laughs> the house itself was made out of cedar wood from the forest of Lebanon. There were all kind of precious stones and jewels placed in the foundation of his house. Then can you just imagine all the furnishings and the garnishings that he used? The curtains and the rugs and the, the amenities of that house. Verse number 5 said after she saw that house, there was no more spirit in her. She was overwhelmed. Uh, the, the Bible said that she, she, she fainted. She, she, she lost consciousness. And I'm sure being a queen, she'd saw many magnificent palaces before. I'm sure her own palace back in the land of Sheba must have been something to behold, something to, to have looked at. But Jesus had the audacity to stand there in front of that crowd and say, I want to tell you something, as great as the palace that he built is, there stands one among you that's building a work, that's building a palace much bigger than the one that he has ever built. For Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions not just one mansion, not just one palace, but many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I, know, I don't know, but I know one thing. Thank God the house that Jesus is building over yonder. It must be something to behold. I'm sure when we see it, we're going to say, I heard, we've heard, we've heard preaching, we've read the 
Bible. But the half has never been told. Biggest house I've ever been in is the Biltmore house. I've been, I been, went in it one time. The house itself covers four acres of land, has 250 rooms, 34 master bedrooms, 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces, three kitchens, and an indoor pool. You know what? Yes, yeah, right over here. Thank y'all. Hey, can I tell you something? Listen to me now. They say today, what was his name? Vanderbilt. They say if Mr. Vanderbilt were alive today and built that same house in today's economy, it would take him more than $168 million to build the Biltmore house. I remember my kids were little when we went there and we walked up, we'd stand there at the front entrance, look at that thing, and my daughter looked at me and she said, Daddy, when are you going to get us one of these? I said, shut up and go ask your mama. It must to have been a magnificent place that Solomon built. Oh, but can I tell you, the house that Jesus is building over on the other side, just beyond Jordan, over the land of Canaan where we're never going to die, the house that Jesus is building for us there, compared to the Biltmore house, the Biltmore house would look like a lean-to compared to the house, the palace, the mansion that Jesus is building us. She saw his work. He's greater. Then she saw the worship of the king. If you look again in this text, verse number 5 said that she saw the house of the Lord. Now we know from the record that boy Solomon built the house of the Lord. We know David, his dad, wanted to build it. He wanted to build God a permanent dwelling, a house befitting to the majesty and the glory of God. Uh, but, uh, but God wouldn't allow David to do it. We know up until the time of David that God lived in a tent. It was a tent that could be dismantled and moved from place to place. That was God's house. You know, this was made out of gopher skins. Just a little building. That was where God lived. David wanted to build God this beautiful place, befitting to who he really was, but God said no. But David, God said, David, I'm going to let your boy Solomon build that house. David prepared the materials, then David died. Solomon began the process of building the house of God. You read about the construction of it in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of this same book, and here's what we read about. It took 183,000 men working seven years to build the house of the Lord. Everything in that house was overlaid with pure gold. The floors were marble. No expense was spared. Again, listen, again, to build that same house with all the gold and the silver and the precious stones in today's economy would be in excess of $150 billion, with a B, dollars to build that house today. Hey, can I tell you something? I'm sure that queen, she'd been in magnificent temples before. I'm sure there in the land of Sheba, she'd went into those temples and she'd saw those beautiful edifices that had been built to the many gods in the land of Sheba. She may have made some trips to other countries and saw all kind of temples erected to all kind of little g gods. I said little g gods, not big g god. There's only one big g god. Yes, sir. She saw all those temples erected to all those. But when she went into that temple that Solomon had built, I mean for the first time, she felt something she ain't never felt before. She's seen something she ain't never seen before. She experienced something inside of that place 
that she'd never experienced in any other temple, in any other land that she'd ever been to. You see, when Solomon built the Lord's house, and then they had that dedication service, God moved in that house. That's right. I mean, the Bible said, let me use my country lingo, every nook, cranny, and corner of that building was full of the Shekinah glory of God. The Bible tells us back in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 10, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. The Bible says there about verse number 11 that God moved in. Not even the priest could go in for the glory of the Lord had filled that house. Hey, I want to tell you, it makes a difference when the Lord fills the house. I'm telling you, all those other houses with them big old fat pot-bellied, cigar-smoking gods, burning up incense. She never felt anything like that before. She never seen anything, never experienced anything. But when she went into God's house, buddy, she felt something. She saw something. She experienced something that she had never, ever felt before. Oh, I want to tell you something, friend. It makes a difference when God gets in the house. But I got thinking about it like this. In the Old Testament... God had a temple for his people. Jesus said, I'm greater than Solomon. You see, Solomon just had a temple for the people. Since Calvary, God's got a people for his temple. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you, that same glory that moved into that house that Solomon built, when you got saved, guess what? That same glory, that same spirit moved on the inside of us. So in other words, what I'm saying, if you're saved this morning, guess what? God lives inside of you. You and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We have been bought with a price. You say, what's the price? The rich, royal, red, ruby, blood of Jesus. And when we got saved, God moved into our temple. Then I got thinking about it like this too. That old temple that Solomon had was demolished. It was destroyed. All the work that Solomon put into building that temple, the Babylonians came along and they destroyed it. They broke it apart. They burned it. They demolished that temple. But thank God the work that he did in my temple, hallelujah, through the eternal ages, it'll never be demolished. It'll never be destroyed. It's an eternal work. Thank God he's, he's greater in his worship than Solomon was. But can I say one more real fast? She saw his wisdom. She saw his works. She saw his worship. But she saw his workers. Look again in our text. Look at verse number, verse number 7. She said, Thy prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. But then she said this in verse 8, Happy are thy men, and happy are thy servants, which stand continually before thee that hear thy wisdom. Now watch this. She said, You know, I heard, I heard about your servants, how everybody walks around with a smile on their face. They just seem to be happy. You know, my servants over in Sheba aren't like that. I compel them to work, and if they don't work, I beat the fire out of them. That's my servants over there. They're not at all happy. They begrudge the fact that they have to serve me and work for me. But Solomon, I just got to notice that everybody works around here, they just happy all the time. I walked up a while ago, the guy's out more than the yard. It's more. I went over there and saw some of your horses. The guy was shoveling out horse manure to you. I mean, everybody around here is happy. I don't understand. Why are they so happy? And Solomon said, I'm good to them. I love them. We fellowship together. We eat together. We live together. 
And they have access to my throne anytime they want it. Look at verse 18. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. Back up in verse number 5, he talks about the sitting of his servants. That tells me this. Those servants, anytime they needed to get in to see the king, they could go before the throne. That tells me anytime they wanted to sit down and fellowship and eat with the king, they could sit down and eat and fellowship with the king at the king's table and enjoy the king's dainties. I mean, buddy, anytime they wanted to walk to the hall, walk along and just walk and talk with the king, they could do it. Solomon said, the reason they're so happy is just because I love them and they love me. But Jesus is greater than Solomon. Happy ought to be the servants of the Lord Jesus. Happy ought to be the servants. Watch this. Do that, some of you. Happy. They're happy. You ought to see those people riding in buses in today. Threw open that door. Them children started running off. They went. You ought to see those precious people over there in the nursery this morning. Changing diapers and wiping noses and looking after babies. Walk in there. And they may be going... Over here in the children's church workers, all those people preaching those kids over there are standing up. You know what? God's people ought to be happy people. You know why? I get to go to the throne anytime I want to. You know why? I get to sit at the table with the king in fellowship anytime I want to. You know why I'm happy? Because I can walk and talk with the king every day of my life. I'm telling you, he's greater than Solomon. His workers... His wisdom, His worship, His works. I ain't even touched His worth. Yeah. And when she saw all of that, here's what she said. <laughs> I heard about it. How be it? Say it with me. I heard about it, but how be it? The half was not told. Can I say this to you and to me? When we get over yonder to where we're going, those of us that are saved, I'm sure when we get there and we see it, Maybe one of the first things after they pick us up off the floor because we fainted and we finally see it. We're going to say, I've heard sermons about it. I've read what the Bible says about it. But I just got to say, how be it? The half was not told. When we see him who died for us, who paid the price on Calvary, we're probably going to say, man, I heard, I've, I, I, I've, I've read, I felt how be it, the half has not been told. What a great God. Amen. He is greater than Solomon. Amen. Do you know him today? Amen. Here's the thing that got me. Back over in Matthew chapter 12, they said, Jesus, pull a rabbit out of the hat. Make something disappear. Do something, Jesus. Show us a sign that you are who you say you are. And Jesus reaches back and pulls up the queen of Sheba and said, look, all she had is all she had was what she had heard, but she made the journey to come see for herself. And she believed. And she will rise up in judgment on Judgment Day against you folks that have both seen, heard, and felt. She'll rise up in judgment as a testimony to your unbelief that I am who I say that I am. Oh, brother. Hey, you've heard. You know he's real. Look, this world just didn't happen. You just didn't happen. You're just not some slob that wiggled up out of a slob. You might be a slob. I'm a big slob. A blob is what I was trying to say. 
How many of y'all are slobs? I got clothes under the bed from six months ago. I'm a slob. But I'm not a blob. I didn't wiggle up out of a swamp somewhere. Amen. It said it was a tadpole when I begun to begin, then a frog with my tail tucked in, then a monkey swinging from a high tree, but now I'm a doctor with a pit. That's not who I am. And neither are you, friend. God created you. You've heard. Well, why don't you come today and experience for yourself? And you too will say, how be it? The half has not been told. Well, let's pray.